Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast is a W2M Network original production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. On behalf of myself, Harry Broadhurst, and Patrick Ketza, tonight's episode of Wrestling Unwrapped is dedicated to the memory of Bobby the Brain Heenan. And with that, we welcome you again to another episode of Wrestling Unwrapped here on the W2M Network. I am your host, the sole proprietor. Proprietor of Chico Santana's Flying Burrito Stand, Patrick Katza. And joining me, as always, cook and manager of the Ham and Egger Diner, Harry Broadhurst. How are you, Harry? That's, that, that, that's nice. Our executive producer is the GDP Paul Leeser, but he's not around to make a snarky comment. And it's kind of funny that we have to do this kind of a show on this occasion, considering the fact that we're going with a show that went directly up against the show that this man that we're dedicated to was featured on, of all things. Not, not only featured, he was the play. He was the color guy for the entirety of said show. He that was going up against this one. So do you want to go ahead and give the backstory before we start the review then? Well, I should probably at least the name of the damn show first. As and tonight. We should, <laughs> we should also do our plugs too, so go ahead. I'm getting to that. <clears throat> so tonight we are doing the show that the WWE tried to ruin with that concept of the Royal something or other. Eh. As we will be doing the third, well, I should say the finals of the third annual Bunkhouse Seed produced by Jim Crockett Promotions from the Nassau County Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Long Island, New York. More commonly and, referred to as simply the Nassau Coliseum. I know. I was trying to be. I was. I was. I was, I was trying to do things the right way. Okay. Yeah. You. You try to be professional all you want to. That's not my shtick. What the hell is your stick? Anyway, <clears throat> I'm, um, I'm, fu- I'm full of shtick. Definitely. Anyway. And <laughs> before we actually get into that, as always, we are a presentation of the W2M Network, where you can find not only our past uh, 
episodes in our archives, but even some of our written reviews we're going to get back to one of these days. Mm-hmm. This one wasn't my fault. <laughs> uh, anyway, no, I com- you can- I, complete- I completely overslept for this one. Blame me. It's kind of a running joke as to when we get back to these reviews, though. So, frankly, it's regardless, if we get the reviews out, great. If we don't, it continues the running joke. Whichever. <laughs> exactly. But for those that are done, you can find all of those at w2mnet.com. As well, you can find 411mania.com and last word on sports and last word on pro wrestling.com. So. We're going to have to try and fill this as much as humanly possible tonight. Because I believe this may just be the shortest pay-per-view we've ever done. I think there's no doubt... I think there's no doubt in my mind in terms of number of matches this is the shortest we've ever done. It's not the shortest show we've ever done. Mm -hmm. Because this thing does run like an hour and 53 something. On the network. Yes, that's that's true. That's with a with two major entrances and introductions clipped, which I'm still trying to figure out why that happened. I saw nothing in the review that I sent you that explained it. I have another place I can check for a review of that, though. So why don't you go ahead and continue describing what's going on while I do that? So, indeed... This is kind of the, as a matter of fact, this is Jim Crocker Promotions' first attempt at a pay-per-view that was not Starcade, coming off of the success of, well, relative success of Starcade 87, Chi-Town Heat, UIC Pavilion despite, in Chicago. Despite going up against the established, or the, excuse me, the not established, despite going up against the debuting Survivor Series, which was created by Vince McMahon in order to attempt to stonewall Jim Crockett promotions from getting into pay-per-view. And quite frankly, when I say relative success, I mean distant relative success. Because, yeah, Starcade 1987 kind of bit the big one. So, in this case... Jim Cocker Promotions decides to give it another shot with the finals of their third annual Bunkhouse Stampede, which was essentially a month-long, I guess, kind of along the lines of the G1 Climax for Battle Royals. It's literally like the best thing that I could think about. Tournament where multiple nights... uh, There are different battle royals that are under bunkhouse rules, which means a lot of street clothes and weapons are allowed. Not encouraged, though, but they are allowed, so they will be used. And this was held over the month of December with among the top competitors, including Road Warrior Animal, who won the most battle royals in December, vying then for the big bronze boot and a check for a half dollars. It would come down to- <laughs> I was I'm, waiting for that. I, I'm I'm sorry. A half a million dollars in wrestling dollars is like five bucks real life cash. No, it actually very well could have been a half a million dollars considering who won. Well, <laughs> I can't give that away yet, but I see where I you're going with this. I know. Go ahead. Continue. So the, so- 
the finals, which would be our, which will be our main event, are. <laughs> this is so freaking ridiculous. <clears throat> An eight-man steel cage battle royal, where the only way to win the match is to be the last man still in the ring. And effectively doing the opposite of a steel cage match, where the entire point is to throw your opponents over the top. Yes, over the top of the cell, or of the cage. Or through Um, the door, as long as both feet hit the floor. Total opposite. What the hell? Okay, I'll I'll go ahead and comment on this here. I was going to save this for when we actually did this, but I... Okay, then you know what that would make the smartest person in this match to do? Stand in the middle of the ring. Hell, sit CM Punk Indian style in the middle of the ring. Why go anywhere near the top of the cage or near the door? Because wrestling. Because eventually you have to to try and eliminate the last person in there. Okay, but until then... want, you don't have a choice. Okay, but until then, you just sit there and do nothing. Well, the winner kind of did. Anyway... Now, we mentioned all of this backstory because of the fact that WWE, once again, for the second consecutive JCP pay-per-view, takes a direct shot at them. Not with pay-per-view this time, though, but on the exact same night, the, I believe, Cops Coliseum in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. So while JCP runs in WWE's backyard... WWE decides to fire back with the first annual Royal Rumble, which was aired on the USA Network. Yes, the same USA Network. So... America! Huh? I mean, by way of... America! But by way of Canada. Yes. And that would be, of course, headed by the first ever Royal Rumble match, which would be won by Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and the contract signing... For Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan that would lead not to WrestleMania 4, but to their match on the main event, which we have covered in our Best of Saturday Night's Main Event DVD, located in the archives. That's one. Hey, it was a plug of our own show. Right, but the, the way that it was plugged was reminiscent of a different show. Shut up. That's That's one. <laughs> So, yes, the war is very much going on here between Jim Crocker Promotion and the WWE. How would JCP fare? Let's find out. As always, before we get started, here's Harry with all of the insane amount of matches, results for the 1988 Bunkhouse Stampede Finals. Well, you know something, Patrick? We did six matches last week. We're doing four matches this week. We still haven't touched how many we did for Rise. So, frankly, these are two well-earned weeks off for me. As Patrick mentioned, we are in the Nassau Memorial Coliseum. He used the full name. I don't have time for such things. January 24th, 1988. I would have been just under three years old. Patrick would not have been thought about at this point. Wow, asshole! This is the JCP slash NWA Bunkhouse Stampede for 1988. Runtime on the network, an hour, 53 minutes, 29 seconds, and I figured out why. I will explain it when we get to the match. 
Your opening contest sees NWA television champion Nikita Koloff and Bobby Eaton of the Midnight Express, although not technically of the Midnight Express here. It's a singles match. Managed by Jim Cornette, James E. Cornette, whatever. They go to a 20-minute time limit draw. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I have one, wor- I have one word to describe this match. Chinwalk. Anyway. Our next contest sees Larry Zabisco... Beat you to it. <laughs> Defeat Barry Windham at 19 minutes and 17 seconds with a heel to the forehead. The heel hit him with a he- make your own joke to win the NWA UWF Universal Wrestling Federation Western States Championship. The championship NWA number, <laughs> championship number 96 in the NWA. The semi-main event and your first ever non-Starcade title match, NWA title match, sees Road Warrior Hawk, because reasons, defeat Ric Flair by disqualification at 21 minutes and 28 seconds. Ric Flair retains. Duh. And your main event sees the American Dream, if you will. Dusty Rhodes win the bunkhouse stampede, last eliminating the Barbarian at 26 minutes and 22 seconds. That's all I got. (laughs) We'll talk about that when we get there. Oh, yes, we will. (laughs) Mama? Harry. Mama, Jim Crockett says I gets to book the finishes. Mm. It bees like that sometimes. All right, let's do this. Four matches to get into, not a whole lot to cover for a couple of them, so let's do it, shall we? <laughs> Indeed. In this case, the war wa- rage wages. Damn it. Now you got uh, if you will, the war, the war for the wrestling world continues to wait. Rage. <laughs> the war for the wrestling world continues to rage on. You're welcome. Move on. This is the bunkhouse stampede finals. <laughs> he sounds so defeated. So, our, our first, opening our, contest. Our, our, our first contest. <laughs> of four. Of four. Almost two hours, and it's four matches because, well, JCP. I can't even say because wrestling, just because JCP. 
I mean, technically, because WCW before WCW was WCW. So, because JCP. Our opening contest of four. is the NWA World Television Champion, Nikita Koloff, defending his title against beautiful Bobby Eaton, managed as always by James E. Cornette. Jim Cornette, if you ask our ring announcer, by the way, who is the ring announcer? Oh, yeah, about that ring announcer. Uh, what happened, Lynn? I was the ring announcer for, for Punk House Stampede 1988. Mr. 1980s porn stash himself, Tony Schiavone. Frankly, if Tony has not covered the show on what happened, when he needs to just for the sheer ridiculousness of him being the ring announcer. You know what the funny part is? After I finished with this, I started watching, I believe, had to be Starcade 85, which was the, uh, no, I'm sorry, Starcade 86, the Night of the Skywalkers. Guess who one of the ring announcers is? Oh, good grief. On the biggest show of the year. Anyway. Well, I, 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 in fairness, let's give credit to who the, the play-by-play and... Well, color commentary, technically, but they're both play-by-play announcers for this show are. It's arguably the two greatest play-by-play men in the history of professional wrestling and Jim Ross and Gordon Sully. Was it Jim Ross and Gordon Sully? I could have sworn it was Jim Cobble. I'm 90% sure that was Gordon Sully. Just because of the way that Sully has that unique tone in his voice. Which is why I'm thinking it was Bob Cottle. Hold on, I'm looking it up, because I could have sworn that was Sully. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm like 90% certain that it was Bob Cottle. Crap, it, it was Cottle. My bad. This one's on me. Professional, ladies and gentlemen. I thought it was Sully. I, I, genu- I genuinely thought it was Sully. Which, I the mean, only thing you Sully is you sullied the name of Bob Cottle. <laughs> Getting back to the match. What match? There's nothing to talk about. This was a terrible opener. Oh my god. No, don't get me wrong. Nikita Koloff is arguably one of the most op- over baby faces in NWA JCP history. I mean, this Figure is a guy that the hell out though. Well, this was a guy who was absolutely hated when he was going through his USSR shtick, and then he was injured in some kind of an accident. I want to say it was car, but not to the magnitude, obviously, of the one that took Magnum TA out of the world of professional wrestling. But I want to say that Nikita had a car accident as well. And then when he came back, he came back as a monster babyface. It also helped that came back, if I'm not mistaken, helping out... Dusty Rhodes in his fight against the Horsemen, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong on the time frame. Uh, I know that he definitely teamed with Dusty Rhodes as a babyface in the formation of the superpowers. Uh, one guess who's booking at this time, kids? Mm, if you wee you. Ric Flair. If you wee you. Let's just get let's just get this one out of the way. You mean to tell Jim, me? Hang, hang, shut, up, shut, up shut up for a second. Let's just get okay. this one out of the way. Do you mean to tell me that Jim Crocker Promotions is currently being 
uh, booked by the second most recognizable athlete in the world today, second only to Muhammad Ali. That's two. Yeah, that's why I said let's get that one out of the way. <laughs> um, I'm I'm just saying, if you will. All right, bad Dusty Rhodes impressions aside, let's get into the actual match itself. Um, chin lock, chin lock, chin lock, side head lock, chin lock, chin lock, hammer lock, time limit draw by Felicia. Dish. Oh, they they snuck in a Russian sickle right before the time limit expired as well, because of course they did. Because wrestling, um, yeah. If it was for Jim Cornette's banter, I legitimately would have fallen asleep. Although it was funny as hell with some of the stuff Jim Cornette was saying. He was calling Nikita Koloff ugly, called him baldy, uh, call, calling the refs stupid. <laughs> Didn't I hear him tell the cameraman to get away? What are you trying to give me an aneurysm? Something along those lines, and then and then Jim Ross chimes in with probably wouldn't be the worst thing to happen. That age as well, Jim. Thanks. God. <laughs> so Jim Cornette essentially saved the first half of this match. I, I would go with like legitimately the first half of this match. The second half, yeah, no, because all of a sudden his banter stopped, and. Nothing the wrestling. Yeah, his banter stopped and the wrestling didn't start to pick up. To the point, Tony Schiavone announces one minute to go because, yes, he was doing that because NWA World Television Championship matches had a strict time limit of 20 minutes. So every will, five minutes, although he missed several announcements, he announced. Go ahead. Just real quick, I will give him credit, though, for actually hitting the 20-minute time limit correctly. Usually, usually wrestling 20 minutes is closer to about 16 or 17 minutes. This was an actual 20-minute match, even though, well, they probably didn't have enough for it to be a 15-minute match. I'm not sure they had enough for it to be a two-minute match. Yeah, well, Nikita was over, so there's that. I will say this much. This crowd's incredibly yeah. Like this crowd, this hot uh, oh. into the ac- into the action. But in fairness, I think wrestling standards for what we get come to expect from a good match back then and what we expect from a good match nowadays are different. I mean, comparing this to other matches back in that time frame, maybe it holds up a little bit better. But even then, it's still it's seemingly a lot of rest holds. To the point that when Tony Schiavone announces one minute left. Bobby Eaton still has a headlock on. It, to me, says Bobby Eaton doesn't actually care about winning the damn match. Which, eh. It's just, ugh. I can understand having, you know, a time limit draw for your opener, but, eh. I would have preferred the second match be first. At least the second match had a finish. And then, you know what, let's go ahead and move on into our next match, shall we? Yes, because Nikita Koloff retains via time limit draw. As mentioned in the results. Now it is time for the NWA, JCP, UWF, Ramalama Ding Dong, Western States title. Once again, championship number 281 of the NWA. I love how the number just keeps going up every time we say that. 
It's funny to me. All right. Anyways, it just is. Call me, just call me Tony Schiavone talking about Goldberg streak. It is Barry Windham defending against Larry Zabisco, accompanied to the ring by Baby Doll, who has gotten a lot of talk in these Wrestling Unwrapped and Wrestling Unwrapped to the Maxes recently. No kidding. Yes, kidding. Literally, kidding. As in her daughter. Okay, moving on. That was awful. You should be ashamed of yourself. That's bad, even for us, and we have low-ass standards. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Should not. Moving on. Um, well, it was better than the opener. Okay, I'm pretty sure my 74-year-old grandmother can have a better match than the opener, and she's never wrestled before. I would imagine your 74-year-old grandmother could probably have a better match than the opener as well. I cannot speak to the in-ring acumen of your grandmother, but it seems reasonably to, reasonable to think. All she has to do is throw more than a forearm, and we're good. Or rather, more than a headlock, and we're good. All right, we're moving on to the actual next contest here. Uh, yeah, so Larry Zabisco's kind of drawn his reputation as being the king of stalling. Uh, his work rate in this match is actually pretty solid, I think. But I believe a lot of that may have to do with the fact that Barry Wyndham... Um, Wyndham was so far ahead of his time. By this point, Wyndham was so far ahead of Zabisco in terms of in-ring acumen. Yeah, but you had Larry there to uh, you had Larry there to hold down the psychological aspect of the matches. I honestly think Larry Zabisco is underrated. I don't think Zabisco gets the credit for being as good as he was. Yes, towards the latter part of his career, he became more known for stalling and staggering and taking the easy road out and doing as little as necessary. I get that. But at the same time, uh, I believe that Zabisco was more than competent of having a good match with the right opponent. And as I said earlier, Wyndham was on fire around this time frame too. Wyndham was, as I said, so far ahead of his time that he doesn't nearly get the amount of credit that he deserves for being as good as he was. So I'm having to look something up real quick. Okay, they actually did get that right. I'll be damned. One of the comments that I noticed, especially from, I believe, JR, kept saying sure. that this was the first major title that Larry Zabisco had ever won. 
Now, what I just had to look up is the fact of, do you consider them right considering the fact that he would not win the AWA championship for another year? Well, Zabisco would be out of the NWA before he would move to the AWA. I want to say as um, Bockwinkle's son-in-law at that point. Like he was sure. married to... I want to say he was married to Nick Bockwinkle's daughter. Or not Nick Bockwinkle's daughter, Vern Gagne's daughter. So it was a case of Gagne sticking with somebody that he knew with his, as the uh, championship representative of his promotion. See his son Greg as well as an option as well there. And by the way, another thing that bears mentioning... Larry Zabisco winning this championship, the Western States Heritage Championship. Championship number 293 in the NWA. Eh, give or take. Yeah, this would be the only title change of this championship. The only other title change would be when it was retired one year later. Probably when Zabisco was fired from the NWA. Bingo! So, Barry Windham and Larry Zabisco are the only holders of the UWF, NWA, JCP, Western States Heritage Championship. Championship number 481. Damn it, he beat me to the joke there. <laughs> That's my joke. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the match itself, it's like... It almost felt like Barry Windham had to bring himself down. Because Windham can go among the best of them. But it was a lot of stalling in this one. Um, do we want to talk about the finish now? Where the heel used a heel to be a heel? Where the heel manager handed the heel wrestler a heel to be a heel with hitting someone with a heel? He's healing out. That's what's happening here. Oh, boo. All right, moving on. Um, And we're heading out from this match as Zabisco picks up the win at the 19 minute and 17 second mark. You'll notice, despite the fact that there being only four matches, all of the matches are getting time. This is the shortest of the four, and it's almost 19, a little over 19 minutes. Yep, all others would be at least 20, and I believe the longest being the main event goes over 25. 26, 22 to be specific. No one was asking for specific. Well, I just wanted to pass it along. Anyway, yes, Zabisco ends up winning after... I be- I'm trying to remember who actually takes out referee Dick Kroll... Which, by the way, uh, I recognize him from WWF, which means, wow, the New York State Athletic Commission was an actual thing. Um, in regards to the person who took out the referee, that was Zabisco. Wow, oh, you're that bored on this show, too? <laughs> no, I just had to yawn. Uh, Zabisco went to Irish with Wyndham. Wyndham reversed him back into Dick Kroll. I'll ignore any so, jokes about the name. Somebody get that cornerback for Denver some oxygen while we're at it. Anyway. Good God. Anyway. This so game is after, more... This, 
this game is more interesting than talking about this show. What do you want from me? Yeah, fair enough. So, Dick Roll is taken out, and Zabisco ends up winning when... This was Baby Doll, right? Yes. As I just mentioned about five minutes ago, yes, Baby Doll. I always get Baby Doll and Precious mixed up for some Precious, ungodly reason. Precious was Jimmy Garvin. I Okay. Anyway. Baby okay. Doll hands Larry Zabisco her shoe, and yeah, Zabisco heals out at Wyndham with a heel. Literally. And we move on from these bad puns and bad references to our title match. And I figured out why. This is edited to pieces on the network in regards to the entrances here. You actually managed to find the answer to this. Hang on. Just hang on one second. Our next contest, Road Warrior Hawk, accompanied with Paul Ellering later on in the match, facing off for the NWA World Championship against the champion, the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. The reason we bring this up is because if you're watching on the network... It says that there are technical difficulties, and pretty much the entire introduction is cut. Ric Flair's entrance, Hawk's entrance, and Tony Schiavone's intros are both gone. It's the only edit of this show. All right, well, I can't explain Ric Flair's being cut. I can't explain Hawk's probably because of the way that he was introduced. And the reason... And the reason I explained because of the way he was introduced, because of the way he came out to the ring. Did he to Iron Man? Iron Man by Black Sabbath. That explains that. You you know damn well Vince ain't Vince and friends up at the network aren't paying for the rights to that song. Why not just dub it over really crappily like you do? See Sandman Entrance, One Night Stand. Or use Vince Russo's version of Iron Man that he used in WCW. Oh, wait, he used the actual song, didn't he? No, he didn't. I think when he originally was coming out, he used the real song. And then it got changed to the uh, to the rip-off version that they used. Because, remember, they used rip-off versions of everybody except for Brother Jack Dude. We'll talk about him in a few weeks. For episode fifty, it it, it he, he, Lord knows he's a voodoo a voodoo child, a voodoo. I must be on some voodoo. Our commentary is turning to doo doo. Bobby Heenan would not have this humanoid. Anyway. So, yes, it is Road Warrior Hawk versus Ric Flair for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. By the way, real real quick, uh, just one last thought regarding the intros. A lot of people, because I put this up on a couple Facebook pages as well, about why would this specific entrance be cut. And a lot of people were trying to say that it may have been the VHS version, which I would understand, but... It's the only edit. So well, I think they... No, they I actually think that might... I disagree, and here's why. Because JCP, the Turner, the Turner Movies ones, the TCMs, I think they were called, their VHS tapes were done through Turner Home Entertainment, so T-H-E, I guess. 
had a strict two-hour runtime limit. If you have both animals, or not animals, Hawks introduction, Flair's introduction, and then the actual intros for the match itself, you're running over that two-hour tape mark. What the hell? Entrance takes seven minutes. Well, two entrances and intros. That could very easily be seven minutes. Iron Man... If you're going to do that, cut out the intros to the Western States Heritage Championship match. Not Rick freaking Flair. Yeah, it is odd that Zabisco and Wyndham get introductions and Flair doesn't. I mean, the opener both guys were introduced. The opener both guys were introduced is already in the ring. I think Nikita came out. Nikita came out, but Bobby was already in the ring. Yeah, because I saw a blonde. I saw a blonde chick, and it turned out to be Cornette, or it turned out to be Eaton. Excuse me. <laughs> So, yeah, that's one that I always found weird. In terms of the match itself, kind of boring. Uh, uh, tried and true flair formula. Put flair in there with a muscle head. Flair will make him look good. It's not a great match or anything, but it's a very good match, I think. I feel like Hawk more than lives up to the role that he was expected to play in this match. And flair can pretty much take, at this point, flair could take anyone or anything to at least three stars. Be careful how you say like Hawk, by the way. What are you talking about? Don't say it too quickly. Anyway. I don't get it. I'll tell you later. I mean, I understand, you know, the whole thing with with Flair taking pretty much everybody, including a broomstick, and getting at least three stars out of it, but this was... This was the pay-per-view world title match. This was a Clash of the Champions title match. This was this was this was Dusty Rhodes telling Ric Flair, look, Ma, I'm main eventing the pay-per-view. Even still well, okay. If you knew you were gonna have a steel cage match with eight you know, at least mid card and higher stars and it was a steel cage match. Yes, I'm bringing it up twice for a reason. Would you want that to not be the main event? Meaning you have to not only waste the time putting up, but you'd have to waste time taking the cage down. So Dusty Rhodes is main eventing this pay-per-view. No, I, I get why that match was the main event. I do. But at the same time, though, why have it as a cage match when all the rest of them were just simple battle royals with weapon shots? Why not just have it as a battle royal with weapon shots similar to what the bunkhouse stampede matches are supposed to be rather than adding the added in the added element of the cage? This is a conversation for a different time and place, though, because, I'm, well, I guess technically, no, it's not because we need to stretch out the show as long as possible due to the fact that there are four matches. The matches can go 20 minutes. We can't go 20 minutes on the matches. Well, we uh, can, but we don't want to. I think a lot of it has to do with... No, this was Dusty's way of sticking it to Flair. Correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't the main event of the prior Starcade Dusty versus Flair with the blood stoppage? God, no. That was four years prior. Three years prior. That was 85? I thought, Dust, I thought Dusty... Flair- I said three years prior because based off of 87. But no, that was 84, the million dollar challenge. I just watched it. 
<laughs> then what the hell was the Starcade 87 main event? Starcade 87... I think it was Flair and Dusty. And it might have been no, a Dusty. Oh, that was 84 and 85. I'm looking. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I could have sworn that 80, 87 was Flair and I want to say was Garvin. Oh, God. That, that, that helps. I think it was Flair and Garvin. Give me about 30 seconds. Okay, I'm going to stop that before we get sued for copyright infringement. Yes, please do. Yep, it was a steel cage match of rugged Ronnie Garvin versus Nature Boy Ric Flair for Garvin's World Championship. Hands the stone, Ronnie Garvin. Don't know when we'll talk about him again. That's three. And we're not talking about him here. <laughs> Unless we cover the rumble where he had his match against the Great the Hammer Valentine. That was actually pretty good. No, it wasn't. It was better than your average match. They Ooh. went for pins in a submission match multiple <laughs> times. I didn't say they were smart. I just said the match wasn't bad. <laughs> Jeez! Uh, well, we're really getting away from the topic. At, well, yes, getting back to the topic. At, getting back to the topic at hand here with this uh, NWA Heavyweight Title match. No, this was just put Flair out there against a monster and watch Flair make him look like a million bucks. The title was never going to switch hands here. There was no doubt in my mind that the, the title was never going to switch hands here. There's probably no doubt in anybody's mind that the title's not going to switch hands here. It's an end to a means to get Flair through this pay-per-view, to give him a challenger that he can make look good in the process for if they decide to do anything with that guy down the road, and to keep the belt on Flair going into the future as well. Because I'm trying to think of who, the, who would be the person to take the belt off of Flair, and I'm almost thinking it might have been Vader. No way was that Vader. Vader wouldn't have even been in the NWA for a few years. Uh, Could have sworn Vader was either 88 or 89. Steamboat. Steamboat. Oh. Certainly was Steamboat in 89. So Flair was the champion for all of 88? Pretty sure yes. I'm going to have to look into that one myself. I'm going to have to do some research once we go off the air. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, you never really gave your thoughts on the match itself, though. You said you were disappointed by it, but you never expanded upon said belief. I mean, the match wasn't bad, but as you mentioned, there you want at least to think, hey, maybe a title change can happen, but no. Nobody really ever thought that Road Hawk, you know, one half of the Road Warriors was actually going to win the belt. Um, but then also at the same time, you're booking yourself into a corner because of how powerful the Road Warriors had been booked that if you have Flair beat Hawk, Hawk kind of moves down a little bit. So granted, I question the match choice as it is, but they pretty much booked it the best way they could by having Hawk actually win via DQ. So Flair keeps the belt still looks good and wins. 
I'm picking up background noise. I'm not sure if it's from you or not. It's me. Uh, yes. F- Flair would be the champion throughout the entirety of 1988. It would be Ricky Steamboat at the Chi-Town Rumble. Neener, neener, neener. All right, I'll give credit where credit is due here. How about this? For your reward, we get to talk about an eight-person escape to cage in your eliminated match. So what's the reward? You did this to yourself by suggesting the show. No, I didn't. Your main event on the evening, scheduled for several eliminations... No falls. Well, actually, yeah. plenty of falls, but not those kinds of falls. Yuck, 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 yuck. Is for, well, frankly, bragging rights. <laughs> oh, and $500,000 and a gigantic-ass bronze boot. Seriously, what was up? Well, you know what they should have done? They should have put that $500,000 in the boot and given it to charity. Two birds with one stone. Nice donation to charity, and you get rid of that monstrosity that was that cowboy boot. Good lord, was that thing ugly. Well, you know what that was, right? That was Dusty Rhodes' safety boot from when he had his ankle broken, just repainted. There's a joke there that I'm just not going to make. Was it really? Hell no, the thing was way too big. I was going to say, I didn't think Dusty's feet were that big. They aren't. Granted, the safety boot that he wore was bigger. This is why you don't go wrestling with a broken leg. That reminds me. Um. No, never mind. I lost my train of thought. Let's just move on and continue the show. So, so the, one wanna... thing, the one thing that we haven't actually mentioned yet are the other competitors. We've pretty much I just was... been making jokes at how this ended. I was just about to ask, would you like me to run down those list of participants right now, or would you like to do it? Oh, I can do it. So, it is pretty much half of Jones's army in the Warlord, the Barbarian, and the powers Ivan of pain. Koloff. Yes, the Powers of Pain and Ivan Koloff, along with Flat. Correct me if I'm wrong, the Powers of Pain and Ivan Koloff, weren't they the six-man team on the first clash as well, that took on Dusty Rhodes and the LOD? Possibly. I think you so. You might be right. And as well as Tony Blanchard, Arn Anderson, Lex Luger, who had recently been kicked out of the Full Horseman, Dusty Rhodes, and I'm drawing a blank on one. Animal. Animal. Duh. Jesus. <laughs> the one who had won the most Bunkhouse Stampedes in December. Jeez. The Bunkhouse Stampede Battle Royal variation, not cage match. Yes. Only the grand finale, only this one, was a cage match. And as we mentioned, it is standard Battle Royal rules. Over the top, feet hit the floor, you're eliminated with the added stipulation that this also works with going through the door. If you're through the door, both feet hit the floor, you are eliminated as well. Okay, allow me to ask the logical question. Allow me to ask the logical question here. You ready? Yes. Why would you go to the top of the cage, you morons? To try and eliminate somebody else? Why would anybody go to the top of the cage? To try and eliminate someone else. 
You're missing my point. Why would anybody want to be up at the top of the cage in the first place? What, are you going to actually physically lift their carcass up the cage in order to get them up and over? No. They had to climb up to the top of the cage for you to be able to try to eliminate them in the first place. Why would anybody be in the top of the cage? It doesn't make any sense. That's why the rules being dragged up there. I was, look, I'm trying here, all right? It's stupid. Yeah, you're, you're trying and failing miserably just like this match concept did. I mean, okay. Fair play to them trying. But no. Now, granted, everybody in the match does come out in "quote unquote" bunkhouse gear, jeans, shirt, a lot of weightlifting belts, except for one person who came out like strictly in workout clothes. That being Mister Personality himself, Lex Luger. Longtime listeners of the show will know just what a fan of Lex Luger we really are. Second most favorite wrestler after Brother. Dude. Well, it came crashing down and it hurt inside. I still wonder if Hogan's the third man. Anyway. Rest in peace, Bobby. You know what? I would have much rather just sat here and talked for an hour about Bobby Heenan today than covering this show, to be honest with you. Quite frankly, and, probably should have done that. And truth be told, it would have been a much more entertaining thing to do. All right, continue. I mean, okay, fair play to the concept of it, even though this completely turns into a cluster and a half with multiple, multiple eliminations, including, I believe, Luger, Blanchard, and Anderson all going out the door at almost the exact same time. Animal was eliminated very quickly, thereby negating everything he had earned by winning the most bunkhouse stampedes in December. And Ivan Koloff, I think, was the first one eliminated, despite the fact that he was in the match for about 15 minutes. And I believe he was bleeding about two minutes in. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, this was back in the golden this was back in the golden era of juice in the NWA, back when pretty much everybody and their grandmother bled. And it didn't just have to be the forehead. See Dusty's arm when I believe it was Ivan Koloff actually uses a belt buckle on it to try and cut it open. Which raises another question for me. Why would you gig your arm? And Probably don't tell me that to cut in his case than his forehead. Okay, that's probably fair now that I think about it because Dusty's got like Dusty's got like that 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 roast beef forehead where it's just kind of layers upon layers. Uh, what was the who was the old wrestler that they used to say would take a quarter and actually stick it into his forehead and it would like disappear? Was it Abby? I don't want to talk about him, but yes. What do you have against Abby anyway? Gee, I wonder. You're seriously asking me that question. You're seriously asking me that question. I am, because I have no idea what you're talking about. Not the fact that he bled like a stuck pig with hepatitis? Oh, yeah, there's that. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's that's, that's no bueno. That's no bueno. Not cool. I can kind of understand why Undertaker was pissed off at Bob Orton Sr., for their little episode when he was facing off with Randy Orton. 
Yeah, the Bob Orton one I knew about. I forgot about the because uh, there was like the independent wrestler with Abby. I remember the story now. All right, moving on. Yes, please. Anyway, um, our final two end up being Dusty Rhodes and the Barbarian. Gee, I wonder who's. I wonder who's going to win. I was going to say, Dusty Rhodes. So, Bar- now, to be fair, at least they put somebody who's a super powerful wrestler and might be able to lift Dusty Rhodes' ass over the top of the cage. But at the same time, no. Well, I mean, he technically could have thrown him through the door as well. Although, I would imagine Dusty, he, I mean, even at his skinniest, Dusty was pleasantly plump. That's one way of putting it. It's a big boy. It's a big boy. Well, at least from Anyways, Texas. Anyways. Um, yeah. Needless to say, despite the fact that he was the last one in winning a wild card match, I don't really think there was any question as to who was winning this match. Yeah, the only other man that would have made any sense winning this match, honestly, probably in the fans' eyes, is uh, Lex Luger. That being said, shall we talk about the reaction? Shall we talk? Animal may have as well, considering the fact that they did mention he had won the most. So Animal may have made sense too, so, but... Can we move on, please? Go ahead. Can we talk about the reaction to Dusty Rhodes winning this match? Boo! Boo! I won't put this on par with Batista winning the Royal Rumble, but it might be the JCP equivalent. There is a definite backlash in the air in regards to Dusty's victory. Wait, wait, wait. So you, so you mean to tell me that people were questioning the fact that the kind of then wasn't known that he was the booker of the company and the guy who had won the previous two faced some backlash for winning the third? Shocker, I know. Dun, dun, dun. Hey, who won the next year? I don't know who won the next year. I never looked. I don't care. Okay. After... I'll give you two damn guesses. And the first one doesn't count? Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this was a concept doomed to fail, especially with said participants. They they may have well have called this the Dusty Rhodes Invitational. If you will. Dusty Rhodes episode, not available in the archives due to the fact that there were just so many damn matches and segments on that one. We'll get to it eventually, we think. Uh, I don't know that we want to get to that one. Maybe. Maybe next June we'll do it in tribute to Dusty. We just have to find a way to tighten it up just a little bit so that it's not three and a half hours. Well, I mean, we did it on our old network, and yeah, that was a long show. But I think we can do it. Sh- I, I, I think we can do it shorter if we don't necessarily discuss all of the promos. If we kind of just let people watch the promos for themselves, and we only talk about the matches. Possibly because 
that I think is still the longest episode we've ever done, and I think we've only ever touched three hours once. We will not touch three hours tonight, though. Um, I have nothing else to say about this train wreck of a show. I'm ready if you are. All right, I got a question for you. It's a really obvious answer, so we'll, we'll call this kind of filling a little bit of time before the big finish. Do you think it was a mistake doing this in the AWF's backyard in New York? No. And the, re- and the reason I say no is because you're trying to establish yourself as a national wrestling company. With the WWF out of the country right now, what better time than to take a crack at them in their own backyard? They're not that far out of the country, though. They're just across the border. Hamilton, Ontario is like one of the first cities across the border. Okay, but at the same time, though, my point being in that regard, though, is that they are out of the country. You're going into their backyard and possibly getting some of their fans to come to your show and give you guys a ch- uh, give you guys a chance. Maybe they would view you as the superior wrestling product. I don't think there's any question that the NWA was better wrestling than the WWF. Certain exceptions aside for the WWF guys, uh, Savage, Steamboat, DiBiase, um, I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple, but... Those are the names. Rick Rude, Kurt Hennig, those are the names that immediately spring to mind. All right, fair enough there. I feel like it was a wise idea to try to go into their marketplace when you knew they were out. Now, if the WWF would have decided to go to Madison Square Garden or to the Manhattan Center or whatever it would have been in that particular vicinity to run their Royal Rumble there, then JCP would have been screwed. But I think running in the WWF was also their way of firing back at the WWF for doing this, for putting the Survivor Series as, as a counterproduct to their own Starcade from the prior November as well. I should mention the Manhattan Center wasn't even a thought in their eyes at this point. That was ninety three. Anyways, what about okay? So let's talk about your thoughts on this then. Um. What's your thoughts on the uh, the situation? Obviously, you feel like it was a mistake. Why do you feel that way? I just feel like you had... The bigger mistake would have been running at Madison Square Garden, obviously. But at the same time, you're, a, you're known as a southern company. And you're trying to expand, and I totally understand that. But at the same time, at this point, you're not really known in the New York market. You know, I think most of most of the fan base of JCP was St. Louis at the furthest west. Um you know, Chicago, and then mostly, I think Chicago may have been actually as far north as it it may have been uh, with that case. I feel like if you had gone somewhere else, and, you know, I mean, two months prior, they had gone somewhere else. They went to Chicago for the first uh, non-Atlanta or Charlotte Starcade. I just, I feel like they should have gone somewhere else but still as part of their fan base. St. Louis, maybe. 
I think you're it, the name says National Wrestling Alliance. I think you have to try to get make your inroads into pretty much any area of the country you can try to make your inroads into. And even if that means taking a shot at the WWF in its own backyard, then that means taking a shot at the WWF in its own backyard. I saw no issue with that. I have more of an issue with the presentation of the show, but that's neither here nor there. I have a feeling it will be. <laughs> anyway. Oh, it's definitely there, but we'll talk about it here in a few moments. Dun-dun-dun. Gee, I wonder. <laughs> totally not obvious. Alrighty, as we switch gears, big finish time. In what may end up being the shortest show we ever do. Best Maybe. and worst matches. What we usually start off with. Alright, this is going to be fun. What's the worst match of this show to you? The opener. Damn it. It's 20 minutes of pure stalling. There's like four actual wrestling moves in the entirety of this contest. Otherwise, it's side headlocks, hammerlocks, and chin locks. That was three of the moves. The fourth being the Russian sickle. Well, there was also an arm breaker. There was also a stun gun on the ropes. And then there was one other thing that I saw. that, I, Frankly, I zoned out through a good portion of this match because it did nothing to hold my interest. I'm going with Bobby Eaton versus Nikita Koloff. And I absolutely hate saying that about Eaton because Eaton's one of those guys who, when I go back and watch older NWA shows, has always impressed me in his tag team matches, be it with Stan Lane or... Oh, who am I? I'm trying to remember really? the other member. I'm trying really? to remember the other... trying to remember the other, the other member of the Midnight Express. Lover boy Dennis Condry. Thank you. I had a moment there, okay? It's not like you haven't had a moment. You couldn't say the wrestling war rages on earlier, so don't give me shit. Anyway. Um, Thoughts and, and then the Perry Broadhurst do not reflect those of Wrestling Unwrapped or the WWE. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. <laughs> they certainly referring. You said it earlier in the show. And no, I didn't. What I... What I was about to say before I kept getting so rudely interrupted, between his teaming, going back and rewatching the uh, stuff from the NWA with Bobby Eaton, between his teaming with either Stan Lane or Dennis Condry, as Patrick so thankfully brought up to help me there with Bite Me, Patrick, or his interactions with uh, Paulie Dangerously and the other members of the Dangerous Alliance, Bobby Eaton has always been a huge part of me going back and enjoying these old NWA shows because his match has always been something that I could really look forward to sinking my teeth into. This match right here was the complete opposite of that. Yeah, I totally agree on that. And it sucks because I think, whereas people always said Ric Flair could go out and have a four-star match with a broomstick, I think a lot of people found Bobby Eaton underrated because he could do the same. Now, the question is, is this is this Bobby Eaton trying to lay off a little bit because of the fact that even at his best, Nikita Koloff was never really known as a ring, you know, uh, a ring general, the likes of Bobby Eaton or even Stan Lane or Ric Flair, Tony Blanchard, et cetera, et cetera. Um, or is this just, eh, it's an easy crowd. Let's just do this and through, you know, kind of, you know, getting through the basics here because throw this was stuff not a at the match. Throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks with this crowd. 
And Maybe unfortunately, tr- in this case, nothing stuck. Well, here's my thought to that. Maybe they tried to work a WWF-style match in front of this crowd, and that's not what the crowd wanted. Was this even because, a WWF style match? I mean, to a lot of like the the to a lot of like the more the more power based workers they had back then. Like, if you were seeing a demolition match, there wasn't a whole lot of wrestling going on in a demolition match. Fair enough, but even I question this. This I I don't remember WWF matches being seventy five percent hammerlocks and headlocks, as you know, and and. There were some that are like that, but just not not to this degree. This was bad. And yeah, if you want to, because I love beautiful Bobby Eaton. As well. If you want to see a really good match focusing on headlocks and chinlocks, watch Claudio Castagnoli versus Brian Danielson from Pro Wrestling Gorilla. There you go. Don't watch this. Uh, All right, switching gears. This one might actually be interesting. What is your best match of this show? Ric Flair versus Hawk. Because this is the match that... It's Flair doing what Flair was sent out there to do as champion back then. Give him a muscled-up guy who's maybe not necessarily known as being the best worker and let Flair make him look like a million dollars. Hawk comes out of this match looking way better than he did going in as a singles competitor, looking like a man who could have realistically beaten Flair for the title had Flair not gotten disqualified. Flair comes out looking like he just barely survived, and what's he going to do the next time he's in the ring against somebody who's bigger, stronger, faster, more muscular than he is? Okay, maybe not maybe not faster, but bigger, stronger, and more muscular for sure. We would find out about two months later. I don't remember the Great American Batch Tour, so I can't speak to that. I said two months later. Clash of the Champions? Thank you. I don't know which one you're referring to. I've not seen it, so. The first one, the one that, the only one that went up against WrestleMania 4 in 1988? Well, technically, Sting wasn't bigger or stronger than Flair was. I'd say they were probably around the same size. Mm -hmm. That might be pushing it. I'm, I would be curious to go back and look at the stats for that match to see like what the announced weights were because I'm imagining they're probably pretty close. Sting is more Sting is more defiant than Flair, but Flair looked bulkier to me, if that makes sense. Wow, calling calling Flair fat, eh? Well, later days for Flair. Okay, at this particular point, the views and opinions of Harry Broadhurst do not necessarily reflect those of Wrestling Unwrapped or the W2M Network. Anyway, but... Um, Get well soon, Rick. He's actually back up and kicking again. He's been posting all over Twitter and Instagram. I know. Which is, anyway. which is really good to see. He actually sent out his condolences for the brain earlier tonight as well. Indeed. So, in my case... Um... I can't believe I'm saying this. Main event. What? Said I can't believe I'm saying it. Um, the world title match wasn't bad, but to me, it wasn't that good. It was this was good. This was going through the motions, just maybe a little flashier than. Uh, Eaton and Koloff. Going through the motions is never really that good. 
and Flair could have good to great matches with almost anybody. And to me, this was tolerable in his case. The main event, while once again, not great, but it paid off the story of will Dusty retire? Can Dusty get it done one more time? Granted, was the crowd happy that Dusty won his third consecutive? Hell no. They were demanding refunds. But at the same time, I'm a sucker for concepts. This was a concept. Sure as hell didn't work, but it's one of those things where it's one of those dream matches to me. Like for the longest time before Cena and Orton had theirs, I always wondered what would it be like for a no DQ, no Iron Man match. And I know, to me, not that great, but it's something you saw. What would happen if you had a steel cage match that was also... Or what what would happen if you had a battle royal that was inside of a steel cage match? At the very least, maybe it's not the world match and concern effect that half that field bleeds like you would not believe. I think in the end, Dusty ends up bleeding twice his arm and his forehead, Koloff, Blanchard, anim- uh, maybe not Animal, but Koloff, Blanchard, Anderson, and I think Warlord all end up busted open. It's a bloodbath. Granted, it's long. It's almost a half hour. But at the very least, I would say it's the best match because out of the four show, to me, it's at least one of those that it's worth a watch just to see your opinion of it. Like I said, it's one of Hey, what would happen if you combine this and this? This was one of those answers. What's the world's greatest? No. But it was still, to me, a worthwhile match that lived up to its building. Billing. You expected a hard-hitting, blood-fest, steel cage, weapons, actually, I think it is weapons encouraged. And that's exactly what you got. So, to me... Yeah, as weird as it may sound, I'm still going to give it to the main event. I mean, technically speaking, I guess the weight belts could be considered as, uh... Technically speaking, I guess the weight belts could be considered as weapons, couldn't they? And a boot. I wish I could forget... I wish I could forget a boot this match. (laughs) <laughs> you keep it up, you can forget a boot ever hosting the show again. Oh, you don't want to replace me, and you know it. Paul, you available on Sundays? <laughs> he's uh, he's not he's not just booing he's not just booing us. He's a booing us. Uh, it, it's the monkey. It's the monkey from Aladdin. Oh, God, just end the episode now. Please, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) We hate ourselves, too, Paul. Don't worry. Good. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, Wait a minute, wait a minute. You co-host a show here on the WTUN Network with the king of the bad pun, Gary Vaughn, and you're going to call us out? Go back to producing, Paul. You got it, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get out of here, this should be mighty interesting considering low scores we've given a couple of shows recently. Um, We still have a cash and and trash to get through. 
Do we have to? I mean, I didn't really have anything immediately spring to mind, but I'm sure I can fake my way through it. What's your cash for this? The fact that there's only four matches. Yay! <laughs> Jerk. Um, I'm actually going to go with uh, I'm actually going to go with Larry Zabisco because Zabisco's kind of like that timeless wrestling heel act. Zabisco's like that old school heel, and frankly, as somebody who kind of grew up watching this era of professional wrestling, I started watching wrestling when I was six, which would have been '91. But it's this style of wrestling that I started watching. I got nothing wrong with a guy who can tell a psychological story inside of a ring. And Sabisco, while maybe maybe a bit sl- too slow at times, was always fantastic at telling the in-ring story. So I'm going to go with the psychology of Larry Sabisco as my cash. Patrick? <sighs> nope. No comment is not an acceptable answer. I know, I'm just trying to think. <laughs> um. <clears throat> um. <clears throat> the fact that they went somewhere else? No. No. Um. This was actually a tough one because, yeah, this, this, this show stinks. It really does. Um. I don't want to just completely spin off of my best match and say, oh, well, you know, they they experimented, they tried. Um, At the same time, this to me feels like a little bit of a changing of the guard. Granted, if you actually look at the end of it, (laughs) it could have fooled me. But you can see all of the kind of younger, newer talents being featured. I think I've actually used this one before, but to me, it still sits there. Um, I believe I said this with SummerSlam 98, but Wyndham gets featured, and he'd become a major player in just a couple of years. Hawk gets featured, and he and Animal end up becoming, you know, kind of the go-to tag team. Um... Bobby Eaton was already a very heavily featured and would go on to, I think, become, I mean, disagree if you want, but I don't think you will, go on to become one of the most respected and one of the possibly most underrated wrestlers of all time. You know, once he he finishes with the Midnight Express and then goes on with uh, the Dangerous Alliance and and just everything from that. I would... I would. Ju- I was just about to say. I think you can make the argument that Bobby Eaton was the backbone that held the Dangerous Alliance together. Exactly. So I mean, if it was if it wasn't Bobby, then it was Arn. But between the two of them, you have arguably the two most underrated wrestlers of all time. Exactly, and that's you know that's your three sub matches already. Luger actually looked kind of decent. You know, in in the bunkhouse stampede main event, and he would also go on to become a major player in just a couple of years, especially having to effectively try to carry the company when you know the world champion leaves with the belt. Animal looks somewhat good, maybe a little quick out, and say what you will, but 
Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> I'm shocked that he actually got booed because how the hell do you boo Dusty Rhodes? But he was also uh, booking it and booked himself to win. So, um, I believe that the Dusty Rhodes thing might qualify under SOS. Same old shtick. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's it was nice that at least with the major undercard matches, <laughs> I say major undercard matches, the entire undercard had somebody that would be featured very well in the future from now. And I mean, that's literally three quarters of this card. Trying to figure out real quick. Yeah, I'm going to ignore the dark match. Alrighty. I didn't even know there was a dark match. Sting and Jimmy Garvin versus the Sheep Herders. Yep. Silence is deafening. What's your trash? Um, let me think here. Because there's quite a bit to go with. The network editing of the show. Like, I get that you don't want to play uh, Iron Man or whatever, but at the same time, it's a championship match introduction there. There's absolutely no reason, in my opinion, that it should have been cut. At the very least, just do some fancy schmancy post-production work and either turn up the crowd noise and turn down the audio on the song or just edit in a different song over it. I I don't appreciate... This isn't the first time they've done that. This is not the first time they've done that on the network. No, I'm sure it's not. At the same time, it still becomes very apparent once you go back and you find out the reasoning for them doing it as to why they did it. I mean, it's obvious why they did it, but it doesn't make it any easier to digest as a fan. I mean, especially when you consider how iconic that song is with the Legion of Doom slash Road Warriors. Just one of those things I find absurdly weird because of the fact that they cut everything. I, I feel like there's got to be something else with that. Like, I really, really do. Because to just cut all of that out because it's Iron Man, you can just edit over. Hell, put, put the LOD theme song. They use the same theme song in the WWF for their entire time in the WWF. Just use that one. It's not the first time you've done it. You played Chris Jericho's theme song during Road Wild in 98. Yeah, that that pissed me off, but that's mostly because I loved his even flow ripoff. Yeah. Or not even flow, Jeremy. I believe Jericho's was Jeremy. No, it was even flow. It was even then flow. Who, then who had the ripoff of Jeremy? Was it Raven? No, I thought Raven had come as you are. You might be right. I'm I'm getting my WCW knockoff themes mixed up. I know DDP had smells like Teen Spirit because he probably had the most iconic one. Yes, well, I mean, technically, Diamond Dallas Pages was so iconic it actually had its own name as well, too. So, 
while Hogan was the only one with the real thing. He actually had Jimi Hendrix's voodoo child. Another day, another episode. FHH. Anyway. Uh, for me... Where the hell do I start? Um... It's the fact that the show is only four matches. Granted, yes, it's great to have a show that's major matches. Fine, okay. You know, a lot of WrestleManias are becoming like that today. But at the same time, you need filler in between. And while granted you got filler between the world title match and the main event... Still, it felt weird covering such a short show that was and it, not even two hours, under two hours technically, even with the uh, edited out entrances. My guess is this still falls under two hours, and you still could have put the entire damn thing onto a Turner Home Entertainment VHS. Um, by the way, TAG, Turner Home Entertainment, not TCM. That's Turner Classic Movies. Anyway. Um, I'm, I, I mentioned that I'm going back and watching Starcade, and it's so weird. Um, Patrick? What? Just real quick, I corrected myself earlier when I was discussing it that I said Turner Home Entertainment. Yes, you did. My apologies. Sorry. Okay, carry, carry on with your Starcade point. I go back to mute. Okay. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um... I'm I'm rewatching all of Starcades, and it's weird watching three-hour shows with legitimately 12, 13, I believe the second Starcade had 14 matches. And we go from that to this. Starcade 87 even had only seven matches. It's weird just how fast it dies uh, in terms of match numbers. Granted, match quality might make up for that, but Let's face it, would you have rather had six shorter, better quality matches, or would you have preferred what we got here? Two hours, four matches, and all of them were kind of stinky. I think I would prefer... I'd have to turn my mic back on. I think I would probably prefer the opportunity to have the downtime in between the big matches, frankly. Um... Especially when you have matches such as the Zabisco and Wyndham match, which I think runs a little bit too long for its purpose, and then the incredibly overly long opener that we had on this show. Granted, the opener has to be done because World Television Championship match, time limit draw. That's pretty much all they were. It was either a title change or a time limit draw. Sometimes the champion would beat the challenger within the time limit. It was still a rare sight. All right. I don't. I don't disagree with that, but sometimes it would happen. Sometimes. All righty. What is your final score for the Bunkhouse Stampede, nineteen eighty-eight? Man, we're on a crappy run of shows lately. With the only real exception being SummerSlam 98. 
Heat Wave was a disappointment. Road Wild wasn't good. I mean, it, it we gave it. good. We gave good scores to our most recent episode. Russell Palooza. Oh yes, we did. All right. Well, then it's back. I, f- I forgot about Russell Palooza. I, I was thinking about Rise recently too, and I think we both gave that a four. To me, this sits somewhere along the same lines as where Rise does to me. Um, but for different reasons. Instead of having an overly stuffed card like you had with Rise, you have an underly stuffed card here, and it underperforms in my to my expectations as well as far as what I'm expecting the show to deliver in terms of in-ring entertainment quality as well as out-of-ring entertainment quality. There's very little out-of-the-ring content on this show as well. I mean, there are some people that will probably prefer that aspect, but to me, I like a, I like a good show to have a good mixture of both. So I'm going to say that... Uh, I'm going to say that uh, I would end up probably putting this show somewhere around a four-ish. If I'm not mistaken, I believe I gave Rise a two and a half, and I believe you gave it a two or a three, just to clarify that part. I I believe I gave Rise a three and a half, actually. Possible. Uh, For me... Because it's great that the show flew by, kind of, in the fact that it did go relatively quick. But once you get past the opener, once you get past the first two, I'd say. Um, that's, I, I like Zabisco and Wyndham more than the average person would, but that's me. A lot of Zabisco stalling. In ring action, very good. So it's kind of. One of those tale of two matches. Anyway. Um, but for the most part, this show never picks up. It really doesn't. In a way that a JCP show almost always did. You were always almost promised a couple of high-speed, fast-paced matches to really get you going. But in this case, there's no Midnight Express. One of them's in the opener. There's no uh, Rock and Roll Express. There's nothing really to kind of bring the crowd up. So they set themselves up for disaster by making the match that they did go first. Rather than, I would dare say, I think it would have been better received if you switched the first two matches. Because, yes, Bobby Eaton and Nikita Koloff would have been boring... But I still think they could have rode the wave from Zabisco's heel title win a little longer. So that's probably the one thing I would say. But other than that, I mean, the world title match isn't that great. And the main event stinks. Everything about this show kind of stinks, including the presentation, you know, from the very, very, very basic graphics. Remember, just three months later, the kind of graphics that we're getting for WrestleMania 4 and look at what we have here, you know, three months earlier. So, just nothing about this show is really that good. It's worth a watch just for morbid curiosity, but other than that, eh. There, we're done. It's it's curious to see the show that JCP decided to put up as its first non-Starcade pay-per-view. It, like it, it's worth watching once as a curiosity, but there's nothing about this show that makes you think you have to watch it again. 
Whereas I think the show that we covered last week, now that you brought up Russell Palooza, is the complete opposite in that regard. There's no real reason to watch it, but once you watch it, you don't, you wouldn't feel wrong watching it again because it's very enjoyable. Just skip does that the make band. sense? Just skip the band. Yeah, but does that make sense though? Yeah. Like none of the matches on that show seem skippable. They're, all of the matches on that show are worth watching, whereas on this show, maybe one of the matches is worth watching, in my opinion. Actually, I think it's the total opposite. One of the matches is worth watching here, and one of the matches might be considered skippable for Palooza. Championship match. Oh, uh, yeah, Arya Davari and, and Matt and Cross. I mean... I, I like really? Matt Cross. I like Matt Cross, though. I've worked with Matt Cross before, so he's cool. He's cool in my book. I like Bobby Eaton, but that doesn't make that match any more watchable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's that's fair. Yeah. Um. So we are pretty thankfully, much. I, I would say done. <laughs> I, I think the words you're looking for is thankfully done. Um. Yeah. All right, you do the plugs, but before you do the plugs, tonight's episode of Wrestling Unwrapped is brought to you in memory of Bobby the Brain Heenan. Sorry we couldn't cover a better show for your brain. Uh, We are going to attempt, can't promise it, but we're going to attempt to cover the Bobby the Brain Heenan DVD in what would effectively be a special edition of the show sometime in the coming future, but we're not 100% certain on that. Reference number four. It'll be a bonus show for all you guys. Anyway, what won't be a bonus... I'll shut up now. What won't be a bonus show is the fact that we will not be at our normal time slot next week as we will be covering WWE No Mercy. It is another edition of Wu Reacts featuring essentially a double main event as John Cena will take on the big dog Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar faces what might very well be his biggest challenge, even though, you know, SummerSlam happened. Braun Strowman in their fight for the Universal Championship. And we effectively have all of October and almost all of November set up already. Thanks, WWE schedule. Uh, but on on the plus side, though, we can almost guarantee that No Mercy will be better than this cluster fudge sickle we just covered tonight. I can almost guarantee that our next regular episode will be better as well as we cover the 20th anniversary of the first ever Hell in a Cell match. I think. I'm trying no. to remember which one won the poll. Oh, yeah, no, we do have to change that one. Um, no, that's not the next one we're covering. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. We have a show on September 31st, Genius. There is no September 31st, Genius. September's 30 days. Oh, wait. Um, October 1st. I thought we had something else planned for that, and then Hell in a Cell was on the 8th. We no, can't. Re- we were going... We the were real going Hell in a Cell. I'm all out of it right now. You're right. October 1st is Hell in a Cell. My bad. 
October first is Bad Blood. October eighth is Hell in a uh, Hell in a Cell pay per view. October fifteenth, I believe we were still considering doing the Randy Savage story. October twenty second would be Hell in a Cell pay per view, and October twenty seventh, which will be our fiftieth formal episode on the W two M Network, will be WCW Halloween Havoc nineteen ninety seven. All right, one quick update to what you just said. October 22nd is the TLC pay-per-view. I did say Hell in a Cell, didn't I? You did. Just a, just a quick a- head. Um, you know. Wait a minute. Uh, you're actually wrong about one of those shows, too. Savage is in November. In October, we're doing Rev Revolution Pro. Pro. Yes, the Rev Pro show, headlined by their main event. You, you may know the wrestlers event it's you know <clears throat> Zack Sabre Jr. versus some guy he won some medal at some event uh, uh, Kirk Angel no wait Kurt Angle <laughs> uh, I was going to throw in a Mr. Roboto just to complete the Chris Jericho-isms reference uh, mine actually made sense though well mine was yeah. actually part of it anyway so, yeah, so October is completely full for us. <clears throat> so you'll have all of that to look forward to going into and, the 50th episode. And hopefully the WWE Bobby the Brain Heenan DVD as well, if timing allows. Yeah, we'll, we'll as see. A, as a bonus episode in order for us to uh, do something to celebrate the career of, in my opinion, the greatest manager of all time and probably... The greatest play-by-play, the greatest color announcer of all time as well. I don't know if anybody in their right mind would disagree with that. So that will be what to look forward to in the future, especially for all of October. However, until then... Oh yeah, I should probably mention the fact that we are a presentation of the W2M Network, and you can find all of our previous episodes, along with all kinds of other stuff, including the newest college football top 25, which I believe is out, or very close to being out. Be sure to check out all of that at W2Mnet.com. Until next time, for our producer Paul Leeser, and for Harry Broadhurst, I'm Patrick Katza. Thank you so very much for joining us as we covered the cluster fudge that was the 1988 Bunkhouse Stampede Finals. We will see you next time here on the W2M Network. Rest in peace, Weasel. The following podcast is a W2M Network original production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment.